I was feeling like I was letting everybody down because suddenly I'd gone from nobody having any idea who I was to like people, you know, at races in New York knowing my name. Like I felt like no matter what I did, I was going to disappoint people. The intrinsic love for the sport is what keeps me in it. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was US marathon runner Sarah Sellers. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. We find the best people to talk about the biggest Olympic talking points every single week. If you love the Olympics, subscribe now wherever you find your podcasts. Olympic Channel podcast. So, the 2018 Boston Marathon was absolutely crazy. The conditions were rough cold, wet, and windy. We had surprise winners in both the men's and the women's elite races, but the person who finished second in the women's, well, no one had even heard of her. Sarah Sellers was working as a nurse and entered the Boston Marathon because her brother had entered. Now look, she was no stranger to elite running. Sellers had a scholarship to run in college, but a series of injuries meant she never really capitalized on her promising college career. She found it hard to strike a balance with healthy eating and training. In 2018, she qualified for Boston's elite field and paid the $185 entrance fee. This was, in her words, her one shot, and she finished second, walking away with $75,000 in prize money. Her life was changed, her dreams had come true. But with success came pressure. Sarah has spent the year realising that she needs to run for herself primarily and not for anyone else. I wanted to know more about her injuries, why she's now eating right and why she would never pay for a first class flight. So I gave her a call just after she had finished a quick training session in Tucson, Arizona. Olympic Channel Podcast. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Just set the scene for us. I'm great. Yeah, it's pretty ideal out here. It's um, about probably 55 degrees and sunny and a light breeze. Um, it's dry. I don't, I don't think it could be a better running day. <laughs> Excited to get in a couple more runs today. Just went on a really short run this morning and yeah, it's pretty great. I am so jealous because I am stuck with my producer here, Alvaro in a windowless room. So let's go back to college. Um, I guess you get a scholarship, right, for, for college. Where did you go to college? Yeah, I went to Weber State University. It's in Ogden, Utah. I ran on scholarship there. And I read that you picked up an injury at college. What happened there? Yeah, I ran um, the majority of my eligibility in college until uh, I had a season of a full, two full seasons left of running when I had a navicular stress fracture that uh, basically ended my collegiate career and was at the time I thought a potential to end my running career altogether. Um, basically because the injury was in a spot that was very difficult to heal. Um, even after months of zero running, it, it didn't show any signs of healing. So it was very much a long-term injury and one that I didn't know if I'd come back from. How is that? As someone who bases their entire life, I guess, around even the social life is based around going for a run, that must have 
been a big mental blow as well as the physical one. Yeah, and I, I'd say the mental aspect was definitely bigger even the physical aspect because I think I identified myself primarily as a runner. You know, like you said, my social circle was based around running for the most part. Um, my daily routine, like I was busy in school, but my daily routine was to wake up at five or earlier to go on a morning run and then go to school and then run again. So it was built into my everyday routine for years. Um, so it was a huge mental barrier to overcome to um, basically give up the sport and let my body completely heal. Because um, that was kind of the, the advice that I got from doctors was that if I had the attitude of I'm going to take a few months off and then try to get back into running, they said, you know, you're going to probably the injury won't be healed and you might, um, you know, get rid of any chance you have of having the injury ever fully heal. So, um, yeah, I basically just gave up the sport completely and decided if I ever felt like I was healthy enough um, to train again, I knew I wanted to do marathons. Like I. Even before I did a marathon, I knew that's what my love would be, um, but I didn't know if it would be an option at that point. I guess you don't seem like the side of person that was crying themselves to sleep, but were there a few tears? Was there a tantrum? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was, I mean, it was devastating. Um, you know, there was, I don't think I slept for six weeks after and slept normal. You know, I uh, would just lay awake at night and just feel totally devastated that it was and I actually felt really guilty at how devastated I felt because I I thought of you know I'm, I'm healthcare professional and I at that time I was in nursing school and um, actually working in the ICU so I was seeing patients who were in life-threatening circumstances and I was, I was like how could I possibly be this devastated over running and I felt kind of guilty about that but that's truly how I felt. I read as well, you say, I want to be as fast as I can whilst being healthy. And I think that's a really important balance to get. But what drives a person, though, to run before work at 4am and then after at 8pm? It's hard enough, you know, doing those sort of things without the kind of mental, mental and physical things that you have to do as a nurse. Yeah, so when I started, when I moved to Tucson and uh, started my first job as a nurse anesthetist, um, I was working four, sometimes five days a week, and I finally, like I said, it had been so long since I had really competed and really trained hard, and um, my college teammate, Taylor Ward, had run some really fast marathons. We trained all together, we trained together throughout college, and post-collegiately, she put together a really impressive resume of some great marathons. So. She was honestly one of the inspirations for me to um, just seeing her success. Um, I thought like, I, I want to run a really good marathon. And so my brother told me he was going to run Boston in the spring. Um, so at the last minute, I decided to sign up for the Huntsville, Utah Marathon, um, basically just so I could qualify for Boston. And um, once I qualified and uh, started training. Um, I was back in contact with my college coach and he gave me um, a very reasonable running plan. Basically the um, key workouts of the week were 
the majority of what he'd instruct me on. And then um, for me, it was kind of determining on my own how many extra runs or how many easy miles I could put in. And so the motivation to get up early or to stay up late to put in the runs was really, I felt like um, I was chomping at the bit to finally be back in training. And um, I don't know, it was never, like in the moment, it's hard to get up early in the morning because a lot of runners do to run early before work. But um, really, I felt like I finally, like after years of having not had the opportunity to train for something big, like this was finally the chance I had. Wow. So it was like a bit of a dream come true, that marathon at Utah then. Were you, were you, um, were you surprised at the time as well? Oh, at Huntsville? The Huntsville Marathon was kind of an interesting story because I signed up for it very last minute. Um, I hadn't done any marathon specific training. I hadn't even done, I think I'd run like 18 miles on a whim before the race, but I hadn't, I hadn't done any sort of progression in long runs or anything. So I showed up to the race like very underprepared training wise, uh, but I knew I had a good aerobic base. And the other huge advantage, what I thought was an advantage, <laughs> was that the race starts at 9,000 feet, ends at 5,000 feet. So like, if I can't run a BQ on a 4,000 foot drop, like, I don't belong in this sport. So I, I the, the majority of that downhill is in the first half of the race. Um, and I remember about 10 miles in, like I felt this um, very gradual ache in my quads beginning. I was like, okay, this is the downhill catching up to me. And by the last three miles of the race, like, I don't know if I've ever been physically in more pain. Um, and it was just, having done no downhill training, no marathon training, and then running a 244 on that course, um, my legs were completely destroyed. <laughs> like I even for about three days after the race, if I would walk anywhere significant, I would use hiking poles, like walking on level ground with hiking poles, because <laughs> my legs were so destroyed. <laughs> well, how did that, so you, you've got your, your um job at the same time as all of this stuff as well like if you can barely walk how does that interfere with you being a nurse yeah so the days after Huntsville Marathon um yeah I actually showed up to work early because I knew it was going to take me a long time just to walk to the operating room and see my patient like everything was a slower process (laughs) let's fast forward to the Boston Marathon in 2018 um after that so you qualified and uh i guess you if you anything like me you're checking the weather beforehand completely obsessed with all of these things or are you just like super chilled turned up that weren't bothered about how crazy the weather was gonna was supposed to be yeah i don't know if anyone who knows me, my husband, my parents, my siblings, I don't know if anyone would ever use the word super chill to describe me as much as I would probably like them to. <laughs> so I'm definitely not a very chill person when it comes to like race planning and all that. Like I was, um, I had trained hard for this race. I felt like I sacrificed quite a bit, you know, early mornings and late nights and social interaction. Like I had trained pretty, um, pretty much on my own for this. So. Um, I was really invested in this marathon and I also I saw it kind of as a one shot and if it goes well then maybe who knows what I'll do but I had no plans after so 
Um, really, it was like I felt like I had a lot invested, and I had visualized for weeks before the race that you know I had pictured a beautiful day. <laughs> I had pictured um, hitting my splits right on. That I was just going to run like a metronome. I wouldn't care what anyone else in the race do- did. I was running for a time. I was going to run like a metronome. And my goal was to run the Olympic trials a standard, which was 237. Um, and then in the days preceding the race, you know, there were these weather reports that there was going to be a, a nor'easter, like a huge um, east coast storm coming through. It was going to be massive headwinds. And I early on thought, like, this is going to turn around. Like, I pictured this being a perfect day. And I really was in denial. Like, I did not accept the weather reports. And I'd say it wasn't until probably the night before the race, um, like walking out of the hotel and opening the hotel door and just like this huge gust of wind, like whipping the door open and then being hit by rain coming sideways. I was like, this is what tomorrow morning is going to look like. It really is actually going to look like this. And so I finally at that point accepted my goal of an Olympic trials A standard was probably not realistic. And if I had kept that goal I knew I would probably tank and run an hour slower because I would you know um, just die if I tried to run that pace in those conditions Um, so my race strategy completely turned around I I went from a very concrete visualized strategy of this is what I'm going to do to more of like I'm just going to run as strategic and as smart as possible um I'll lead when I have to, but when I don't have to lead, like, I'm not leading. (laughs) I'm going to sit in the pack and um, I'll take my turn, but I'm not going to be the one, like, pushing the pace and having everybody draft off of me. So um, I didn't have any, you know, I thought maybe I can at least get the Olympic Trials B standards, um, but it completely changed my goal for the race. I spotted that you were, like, kind of, you had quite a lot of, gear on you were quite wrapped up and then towards the end you didn't meaning did you actually were you too hot yeah um so i had an experience at the phoenix half marathon a couple months before the race where i got really cold before the race and i was shivering for about an hour before the race and then i felt like i used a lot of my energy before the race so at boston i don't even know how many i actually have a funny picture of me wearing just like I don't know, I'm like the like Michelin man, like wearing like huge amount of layers. And because I was like, I am not getting cold before this race starts. Um, so finally, like, and I warmed up in all those layers and I was like actually a little bit warm. <laughs> um, but standing on the start line, I had um, like my singlet and arm warmers and then a windbreaker and that was it. And I, I ran with the windbreaker until about three miles and then I took it off because it was soaked at that point and that was kind of my plan was that I would I wanted the windbreaker as an extra layer for those early miles when I wasn't my core temperature wasn't high and I was um, prone to start shivering Um, so I waited till I had warmed up and was running a good pace. I I love that you said you had to pay an entrance fee which is presumably 185 dollars right is like the normal boston entrance fee yeah exactly (laughs) and then you leave with seventy five thousand (laughs) dollars worth of prize money (laughs) pretty good going 
It's a good investment. <laughs> so then the internet blows up. I mean, your friends and family must be like, what is going on? I mean, you're, you finish behind, you know, Desi Linden, who's like becoming the first American woman to win the Boston Marathon since 1985. So she's having her own like kind of thing going on. Everyone is going absolutely crazy. But I want to know, um, how did you feel in that moment when you realized you were going to do something spectacular and you were going to finish second? What was going through your head? Uh, coming down the finish stretch, I remember it was just like this tunnel of noise and it was amazing like but it was also i mean you know that the home stretch of a marathon like you're maxing out you're totally exhausted your brain is like totally applesauce and i remember kind of looking at the crowds coming down the home stretch and seeing like they seemed super excited and i was like i must be doing really good because i and i knew i was doing well because i had passed Shalane Flanagan and Molly Huddle, and um, but I also knew they were having a very bad day. Like it was, it was not their day. So I didn't know what place I was in, but kind of taking in the spectators and just how excited they were, I was like, I'm actually probably doing really good. And then in the last few hundred meters, Yuki Kawauchi, who won the men's race, passed me, and my heart sank a little bit. I'm like, actually, they're cheering for the first man. Like I, I'm probably a little bit back. So I crossed the finish line. And I immediately turned to the volunteers standing in the finish shoot, and I was like, what place am I, what place am I? And I don't know if I was in, speaking incoherently, that's a good possibility, but I remember they kind of stepped back and looked a little bit surprised, like, why is she asking us this? <laughs> like, what do we do? And um, they're kind of ushering me through the shoot, and then um, a lady, one of the um, officials who ended up being my drug escort, um, takes me aside and uh, I was like, and I asked her, what place am I? And she's like, oh, you finished second. And I was like, no, no, what place am I? And I kept repeating it. And she was like, no, you, you finished second, honey. And I was like, no, I don't think you understand my question. <laughs> like, just total denial. And I think, well, I, my husband actually made it to the finish line like 30 seconds after I finished. Um, so I saw him standing at the side and um, he didn't know what place I was either because um, kind of the weather conditions were so crazy that like his app with the tracking wasn't working. So last time he had seen me, I was in, I think, like 13th or 14th at the halfway point. Um, so I, ran, I hobbled up to him and I was like, do you know what place I was? And he said no. And I told him, I, uh, they told me I'm second. <laughs> and I thought he would be like, no, no, no. They said 22nd or they said, but he start freaking out and jumping up and down he's like you're second at the boston freaking marathon <laughs> he's <laughs> so excited um so he hopped the fence and immediately became my manager and um <laughs> escorted me through all the press and drug testing and all that so it was it was pretty crazy I love that. It so it just takes it really calm, collected. You know, just, you probably need someone in that moment to be like, "Yeah, what do we do next?" No, he just goes. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> What's changed then, a year on from all that craziness? Yeah, I think a, a lot has changed. A lot has stayed the same. I still have my same coach. I still live here in Tucson. I still do the majority of my miles by myself here. Um, 
the biggest things that have changed, I think, um, just the people that I've met, like the running community, kind of nationwide and even bigger, like it's, that's been pretty humbling and awe-inspiring just to see the um, reaction from people all over. Um, you know, I got like hundreds of messages, at least hundreds, um, you know, over social media and texts and just um, from so many people who were really inspired by the story and inspired by what happened. Um, and I think, like initially it was, ex it was super exciting and I was like, this is, you know, like I don't deserve this, this is amazing. But um, obviously I had trained hard for Boston, I had invested a lot, but did I ever think I would finish second? Like definitely not. And that would have been ludicrous for me to even propose that. Like looking at the field, looking at my credentials, like me coming in second was not a possibility. Um, so I kind of initially was so excited after and it was, um, I was trying to keep up with all the media requests and I was back to working my normal hours, um, back to trying to train for some summer races. And then I think I hit a point where it all kind of became too much, <laughs> where um, my races weren't going well that summer. Um, I was feeling like I was letting everybody down because suddenly I'd gone from nobody having any idea who I was to like people, you know, at races in New York knowing my name. Like, um, and it, I felt like no matter what I did, I was going to disappoint people. And it, it kind of um, was a little bit of a downer for a little a bit before I came back to the reason why do I love running like why am I even doing this and um, kind of came full circle to I love the feeling of accomplishment I love being outside um, I love pushing myself and testing my limits and getting second at Boston didn't change any of that like that's still the reason that I run and um, as much as I want to accomplish big goals and achieve what I can in running, um, kind of the intrinsic love for the sport is what keeps me in it. Because I think if that wasn't there, I honestly might have wanted to step away a few months after Boston more than ever. Because <laughs> it just, like, I'm not a, before I wasn't a public person in any way, and just like the amount of pressure that I felt, um, from people who all meant very well. Like everyone, my coworkers, um, running fans, like everyone wanted me to succeed. And so when I would do poorly to race, I just, I felt like, why am I doing this? And then I remembered, no, this is why I do it. Not for the attention, not for making people happy, but because I want to push myself and I want to see what I can do. So what's the aim for this year's race? I'm making my goals based on um, a good weather plan and if the weather turns out to be a strong headwind or you know I think it'll be very similar goals to last year in terms of a strategic race that's not based on time um, but I kind of have tiers of goals um, so kind of the lower tier is that I want to PR so I set a new PR at New York Marathon of 2.36 so I want to PR um, and then the higher tier is that I want to run like 232 or faster. And then the top goal 
um, would be to run the um, Olympic standard and that's 229.30 or finishing in the top 10. Like either one counts as the Olympic standard, um, which is a huge stretch goal. Like, but I think it's within my capabilities. If, things, if I feel good on that day and things line up, I think that's um, within my capabilities. And looking a little bit further than that, I think I read in The Guardian this amazing line where it said, perhaps never has a runner taken such an unconventional path to one of the world's most prestigious sporting events in reference to the Boston Marathon. But I guess if you make it to Tokyo 2020, that becomes part of the pathway to, to the Olympic Games. I mean, I guess that would be a dream come true, right? Yeah, definitely. And it's always scary for me, like, again, saying that that's a goal because it's like, <laughs> it's that's very intimidating but and I and because I think I have so much respect for my competitors um, but I think you know a lot can happen in close to a year and I've I've I, I think more than anything like I learned at Boston last year that um, when you put in the work and when you just put your head down when the conditions are tough like really crazy things can happen and like I just have to think back to last year to remind myself like crazy things can happen. <laughs> uh, I also read that you have a moral opposition to flying first class. <laughs> if yeah. you were to fly, you know, Tokyo's a long flight. Yeah. Sarah. Would you make an exception? Uh, maybe. I think, <laughs> yes, if it was. So I guess I have to clarify. Um, I don't have any judgment against people who choose to spend their money on flying first class, but for me, the thought of paying more money to be more comfortable for a few hours sounds just ludicrous, like to me personally. Um, so I think if it was up to me and my financial decision, I would, act, I would probably never pay for it. But if a sponsor or somebody paid for it, I probably would also not say no. <laughs> so. Wonderful. Well, enjoy it. Good luck. Thank you. There's no pressure from us. We just want you to do well Thank in you. yourself. And, and pressure is a privilege, <laughs> so I'm grateful for the pressure. So. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. Big thanks to Sarah there and also to Nolan Nissel, who went and recorded that interview absolutely expertly. The Boston Marathon is live on the Olympic Channel in certain territories in the world, including India and Mexico. I've put a link with absolutely everything you need to know about the Boston Marathon, including things like streaming, in a guide, in the episode description. Be sure to have a look at that. If you found Sarah's story inspirational, Get it up on your Instagram story. Write out the best quote, stick it up, tag Olympic Channel and Sarah so we both can see it. That would be amazing. Or put a five-star review with your favourite quote from Sarah on the podcast app. That really helps us out too. And it means more people will find Sarah's story. She is at Sarah underscore Sellers on Instagram. I'm at Eddie Knowles with an I and an E on all socials. You can also get at Olympic Channel everywhere too. In other marathon news, you're not going to believe this, the Olympic Channel sent snowboarder Amy Fuller and freestyle skier Mimi Yeager off to run the marathon in Pyongyang in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. 
They were filming a documentary that will air worldwide on Olympic Channel from September 2019 as DPRK and Neighbours South Korea plan for a bid to host the Olympics in 2032. Here's Amy Fuller after the race. First ever marathon mission is complete. I actually can't believe I've done it. This morning waking up and just having this vision of 26.2 miles to run. Uh, the sense of euphoria crossing the finish line uh, was just unreal. Um, definitely a real showcase of sport and how it can bring people together. Can't wait to see the documentary. Make sure you stay tuned. It's dropping soon. I'm going to go and have an ice bath. Remember to follow our socials for more on that amazing story. Amy is actually running the London Marathon in a few weeks' time as well, which is a madness. Give us a subscribe for more every single week. We've got teenage sprint sensation Brianna Williams of Jamaica coming up next week. Until then, see you soon. Think like an Olympian. Olympian.